um, the disciples and Jesus, as we talked about last week, have just encountered the rich man on the road. They've watched all Jesus had to say to him. Um, they watched as Jesus told him to sell everything <laughs> and to follow him. We know that someone noticed that Jesus loved this man, but also that he went away sad still and disturbed by what Jesus has said. Jesus had also continued teaching them as they kept walking. Um, And he ended his teaching with, but many who are first will be last and the last first. And the rich guy was not the only one who's concerned. Um, The scripture said they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading them. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. (laughs) You have this interesting mix of people following Jesus around at this point. We know that the twelve are following him. But we also have accounts that there are large and small groups that sort of follow Jesus along the path. um, Each with kind of their own reasons for following him. Some are just curious. Some think this is the start of a political movement that will provide them some power. Um, Some have been healed or or want to be healed or want to watch that magic happen. Um, The message puts this portion of scripture like this. Back on the road, they set out for Jerusalem. Jesus had a head start on them. And they were following, puzzled, and not just a little afraid. (laughs) I like that. I mean, is he going to expect everyone to sell all of their stuff? Because that is not something that they signed up for. Um, Jesus had also said that everyone who makes sacrifices of me will get blessings back. But they will also get back troubles, too. Jesus promises that to them. (laughs) I'm I'm thinking that some are probably questioning why they're following this person in the first place. Um, This is certainly more than they bargained for. They wanted the power, they wanted the miracles, they wanted the prestige, they were curious and and wanted to see all of this unfold for themselves. They did not sign up for problems. There's an illustration that I I feel like has been really true in my life many times. It's it's that um, if you want to cook a frog, which I've never had a need to cook a frog, but um, the saying goes like this, that if you want to cook a frog, um, you put the frog in cold water to begin with. And the frogs are just there in a big pot of water, and they're just splashed around having fun. You just slowly turn the heat up on them until the water is boiling. Now, again... I've never tried this, but I know that I have found myself all of a sudden going from splashing around in water that I agreed to be in to being in hot boiling water and wondering how I got here. And this is kind of what the disciples are feeling at this moment um, and this crowd that's followed. This is not what we signed up for. The water was cold when we got in. And then Jesus gets even weirder. He calls the disciples to himself and he starts talking yet again about dying. Yet again about dying. This is the third time he's done this in Mark. The message says he took the twelve and began again to go over what to expect next. Listen to me carefully. We're on our way up to Jerusalem. When we get there, the Son of Man will be betrayed to the religious leaders and scholars. They will sentence him to death. Then they will hand him over to the Romans who will mock and spit on him, give him the third degree and kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. Simple and easy. But can you imagine if someone that you follow, a leader or a coach or or someone that's a mentor for you, started talking like this to you? What in the world would you be thinking? 
Well, James and John, I love the way that he said their names. Like, you know, here they come. James and John decide now would be a great time. You know, in the midst of all of this talk about first and last and death and dying and torture, um, to ask for a favor. Uh, That seemed like the logical thing to do. Um, They decide to prove how much they have not been paying attention to what's been being said and happening around them, that they haven't been listening to Jesus, and they ask him for a favor. Actually, they say, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, nothing good comes from a statement like that. If your kid came to you and asked you for a favor like that, you would definitely turn them down. It's, it's kind of like, I need to tell you something, but promise you won't get mad. It's that kind of thing. But Jesus' reply is, what do you want me to do for you? Put a pin in that question because that's not the only time in this text that that question appears. You'll see it again later. And then these two ask for seats of honor when Jesus is in his glory. We aren't quite sure what they understood glory to mean. It could mean heaven for them. Um, That's the way Mark positions it. Jesus has just been talking about his death. But we read this on the other side of the cross. We know what is about to happen as they approach Jerusalem. And we're not, I mean, clearly James and John are not fully getting what's happening here. Maybe they think Jesus is about to be given some kind of earthly sort of glory. Either way, it's an inappropriate request. Everybody gets upset. Um, maybe because of what James and John have asked for, or maybe because they didn't think to ask for it first. James and John do not see what is happening. They do not see that they are headed to Jerusalem and and hear the words that Jesus is teaching. And Mark wants to make sure you get that point. I know you're tired of hearing me say this, but Mark puts stories together to create an overall message. He's more concerned with the topic and the theme rather than the chronology of things. After Jesus follows up this request from James and John, uh, he follows it up with a teaching that says, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even I, the son of man, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. They all enter Jericho and they're greeted by a blind man named Bartimaeus. He is sitting and begging because he's disabled and there's no other way for him to earn money. No support system other than the graciousness of people. He is a servant to the world. He is at their mercy. He is the last that Jesus has just been speaking about. He hears from the crowd moving around that it's Jesus. And he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. In the original Hebrew, it's, it's actually in the other order. He starts with son of David, then Jesus. He knows exactly who Jesus is in that larger prophetic context. He, he gets why Jesus is here and what's happening. Somehow, this blind man, when called by Jesus, throws off his cloak and finds his way running to Jesus and meets him. Think about the joy that he must have been feeling. The son of David has called him. And then Jesus asks that same question again that I told you to put a pin in. Again, Mark doesn't want you to miss the parallels between these stories. What do you want me to do for you? 
Jesus tells him, go, your faith has healed you. But Bartimaeus does not go. In fact, he follows Jesus. He joins this crowd that has just been nervous and anxious about the crazy things that Jesus was saying. Because Bartimaeus gets it. Whenever I hear these scriptures about the first shall be last and being a servant of all, I think about a former student uh, named Andrew. And one particular mission trip I took when I was a campus minister, we had gone to Waco, Texas. And long before the times of Chip and Joanna Gaines in Waco, Texas, that's how old this story is, um, there uh, there was a, a ministry there that is, still exists, Mission Waco. And their their purpose is to not only come alongside and provide support and training for people who are living in poverty and other issues that they're facing in the town of Waco, but to also encourage people to, to move in to the neighborhoods, to, to the not-so-good neighborhoods, and provide support for those people. So actually creating community. They own a building, and, and out of this building, uh, all of the operations are run, including a number of meals throughout the day. Um, I had arrived with a, a pretty big group of college students. We were sharing space. The accommodations weren't great, which already makes everybody a little bit testy. Um, literally, like the girls' beds were like lined up like this in one really big long room, and there were two showers, and there were like 15 of us, and you know, it just. We were also sharing this space. You need to know with a group of high school girls um, that were from a very wealthy part of Dallas, Texas. They were not used to making any kind of sacrifices in their life. This was a, a completely new experience for them. And so asking them to do anything was a stretch. So we were all mixed up in groups. We were assigned to, to set up meals, to cook meals, to clean up. That, that meant that some of us had to get up really early in the morning before a long day of serving. Because we would prepare and clean up and cook the meals flip that we would prepare and and cook and then clean up the meals and then we would go out and we would serve we would help in um we would help do construction work we would help uh mentor um children and, and play with them and tutor them uh we did a lot of things so we would do these meals alongside of, of all this other service and we would clean up this house that we were all sharing space in and after a few days of this it got really old because the girls, the high school group of girls weren't pulling their weight, and my students started getting testy with each other, and I wasn't any much help. Some course, sometime during the week, um, my bed was right near the door, near the bathroom, which meant that any time anybody got up during the night, I heard it, which was lovely for the week. But, but this one particular night, one of the high school girls had gotten sick. And, um, like, I mean sick everywhere. There was sick all over the bathroom. And, um, and she was feeling guilty and awful, and we had this really kind of sweet moment um, that wasn't sweet at all. Um, and I, she wanted to wake up her leader to clean it up, and I was like, no, like, there's no need to wake her up. I'm awake. Let's, I'll just take care of it. You go back to bed. Um, and, and I did. Um, I am not good at that kind of thing. Um, but I sucked it up and cleaned up all the mess and went back to bed. But you better well believe the next day that I made sure that everybody knew that I had done that during the night. That that was what my night had held. I don't mind serving, but I also often will just tell everybody what I've done. Um, and that story has flipped alongside of this one particular student, Andrew, when we all started being testy part of the way through the week, when we started 
skimping and I had to go and find students that were supposed to be cleaning up or setting up. Andrew was in the kitchen and he was all around the building all the time. He got up early every morning to help with breakfast and stayed through to cleaning up. He was the last one in the kitchen every night cleaning up. And we started to notice. We started to notice as a group this person who was willing to serve, was willing to put the group before himself, was willing to remember why we were there to begin with. And it wasn't to be comfortable. It wasn't to, to get our own way. It wasn't to tally what we were doing alongside of everybody else and make sure everybody was carrying their fair share. It was to serve. And what I began to see was, even in myself and the group that I was with, that spirit of servanthood like just began to weave its way through the rest of the group. Because if, if he didn't mind serving, if he didn't mind staying up late or getting up early, then we shouldn't either. We could all go the extra mile. And so rather than Andrew having to go the extra mile for all of us all week long, we all began to care, help to carry the weight. All of us being reminded of why we were there. Andrew didn't mind serving because he knew that was the point. Martin Luther King Jr. gave an incredible sermon actually on this scripture. He titled that sermon, The Drum Major Instinct. King's sermon was an adaptation of a 1952 sermon um, by J. Wallace Hamilton, um, a Methodist preacher. Both men tell this biblical story of James and John, who ask Jesus for the most prominent seats in heaven. At the core of their desire was a drum major instinct, to be out in front, a desire to lead the parade. King warns his congregation that this desire for importance can lead to snobbish exclusivism and tragic race prejudice. Do you know that a lot of the race problem, he said, grows out of the drum major instinct, a need that some people have to feel superior and to feel that their white skin ordained them to be first. Conversely, King preached that when Jesus responded to the request of James and John, he didn't rebuke them for their ambition, but taught that greatness must come from humble servanthood. As King puts it, Jesus reordered priorities and told his disciples to keep feeling the need to be first, but I want you to be first in love. King used Jesus' own life as an example of how the priority of love could provide greatness. In his biographical sketch of Jesus, King preached that Jesus owned nothing, and when public opinion turned against him, he was called a rabble-rouser and a troublemaker for practicing civil disobedience. King notes that although by worldly standards Jesus was a failure, no one else has affected the life of man on this earth as much as that one solitary life. King concluded the February 1968 sermon by imagining his own funeral that would actually happen not too many weeks after he gave this sermon. He urged the congregation not to dwell on his life's achievements, which at this point would have included winning the Nobel Peace Prize. That's not a small deal. King asked to be remembered as one who tried to give his life serving others. He implored his congregation to remember his attempts to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and comfort the prisoners. Yes, if you want to say that I was a drum major, 
Say that I was a drum major for justice. Say that I was a drum major for peace. I was a drum major for righteousness. And all of the other shallow things will not matter. We can judge James and John for hearing about Jesus' gruesome death and still asking for this special treatment, asking to be out in front of everyone in a special place of honor. But we often do the same. We skim over the hard teachings of the Bible for what makes us feel comfortable and what makes us feel right. Over and over again, there are groups of people, even now, big bodies of believers that are arguing that that we as believers should just be worried about evangelism and, and more about getting people to church than about social justice. But social justice and a, and a flipping of the norms is all throughout scripture. One commentary said, this question is the heart of the sermon. What do we want Jesus to do for us? If we are following him comfortably, without much disruption or cost, if we have some measure of power and status and use it for good purposes, then an honest answer might be that we want Jesus to keep things as they are, or even increase our sphere of influence so that we can do even more good in his name. Can you see? If you were a woman left economically and socially devastated, a child powerless against neglect or abuse, a person left by the side of the road in a society that values those who are able-bodied and gainfully employed. If we are victims of prejudice or hate, then we are likely to ask Jesus to make the world radically different. We may ask him to make the world more fair, just, and loving by making disciples who will be fair, just, and loving. We may ask Jesus how to together a whole community of disciples can change things if we give up our power over others in order to give up ourselves away on their behalf. We may ask Jesus to help us to see how to do that and then give us enough love and courage to live this way. What would it look like to have politicians that were willing to serve? What it looked like to have school leadership and local law enforcement that were concerned about serving? What would it look like to have parents, teenagers, CEOs, more doctors, more pharmaceutical companies that were willing to get up early and take out the trash like Andrew? Are we willing, are we looking to be right? Is that the most important thing? To have power and glory. Are we looking to see as Jesus sees? Are we wanting to follow? This is how we make our mark in the world. What would the world look like if we were willing to see Jesus, to see the world as Jesus does, and to be willing to do the hard work of giving our lives to serve others? In our closing prayer time together and our reflection